Palms and welcome you're listening to the Sacred Footsteps podcast. Sacred Footsteps is an online publication and podcast devoted to alternative and spiritual travel, history and culture from a Muslim perspective. Join us while we talk to writers, historians, artists, as well as a whole host of other people about travel as a spiritual practice. Thanks for joining us. It's Zara for this episode, and I'm joined by Sacred Footsteps writer and photographer Afak Ali, who is also a commentator on modern Orientalism. We're joined by Chirag Wakaskar. Chirag is a photographer based in Mumbai, India, and also the creator of the Everyday Mumbai Project on Instagram. And lastly, we're joined by Omar Rice. Omar is a travel writer and photographer for Sacred Footsteps, and he also works in the international development sector. Thank you guys for coming on. Um, So this episode really is just a follow-up to a previous one on the same topic, which was travel, photography and Orientalism in the Instagram age. Um, So that episode now is our like most shared, most listened to so far. Um, But before we talk about the reaction to it, I thought it would be good just to have a recap and explain what it was we spoke about and what the crux of the argument was. So Ali, would you be able to do that? Yeah, absolutely. Hi, guys. Um, so I think I think for those unfamiliar and those who've been following the uh, the work we've been doing on this stuff, essentially the argument we've been making is the the old age concept of Orientalism, the phenomenon that we know as um, where's the the Western audience or the Western reader, the Western author, painter, anthropologist, whatever is he or she have been defining the native as the other. And this is this has been happening in travel photography for a long time, and it's continuing today in different guises. And the issue we've been highlighting is it's it's backed by institutions. It's occurring in common travelers, not necessarily by award-winning photographers. It's happening every single day as more and more of us travel to the east, to Africa, to South America, wherever it may be. So we're representing the native, as I like to call them, in an ironic way. In a way that that defines them in, in a polar definition to ourselves, so that we don't consider them to be educated, sophisticated, intellectual. We don't consider them to have the privileges of mental curiosity, education. Um, essentially, they're not civilized, and this is continuing today. And that's that's kind of I think the the summary of how I've been portraying them, and I think you guys would agree, is something that becoming more and more noticeable, especially amongst the uh, I, I would say the 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 immigrants or the immigrant community like us who've kind of grown up and we've also seen ourselves uh, through the lens that we no longer think it's, it's acceptable by modern standards. Exactly. Um, and so those are the issues we spoke about in that first episode. And if people haven't heard that one, I would suggest listening to that one first. Um, and we also give a lot of examples of well-known photographers who kind of reinforce those same stereotypes. Um, so anyway, since that first episode, as I already mentioned... It's our most listened to uh, one so far. Um, But a lot of people got in touch just to say that the issues we spoke about really resonated with them, um, including many who said that they had never really even considered um, any of those issues before. Um, And so we spoke about Alex from Lost With Purpose at the end of that first episode. I feel like I'm saying episode a lot. Um, But she, we used her as an example of a Westerner who 
um, takes pictures in this case in Pakistan, um, but she does so quite sensitively and her content in that regard is actually quite good. But she got in touch just to say that she felt she was actually guilty of some of the things that we had spoken about. Um, and I really commend her for her honesty because she said that she still has a lot of work to do and um, went on from there to do an Insta series on the ethics of travel photography as well, which was really good. And one final thing before we move on, um, we also had a couple of photographers get in touch. In this case, they were both European um, and both said that having listened to that episode, um, you know, it it had given them a lot to consider that they hadn't necessarily thought of before. Um, and one in particular said that he was going to change um, his approach to photography, which I thought was amazing. I didn't actually expect that to happen. Yeah, that's amazing. That's good. I think you have to remember in all of this. There, this isn't this isn't a witch hunt, right? Yeah. We're trying to bring bring people into into a way of thinking, which which you, people can argue is is our vision. But I think I think it's a wider than that. I think it's it's a it's a way of thinking beyond a phenomenon that most of us fall into, and none of us are innocent. I think in in some way. We will fall into it, but the question is to what degree and who who do we impact because of that. So I've had the same. I've had a lot of people um, come to the same conclusion, and and not all of them are, are brown or black or Asian. So it, it's across the range, which is which is inspiring, I think. Yeah, and then the flip side to that is that we have examples where we've reached out to people who, um, you know, whose work is reinforcing these stereotypes, and they've responded either by um, you know, deleting our comments or just completely ignoring us. So not everybody is willing to change, no matter how, you know, diplomatic your approach um, or how polite you are towards them. Um, so when people kind of are willing to listen, then I think you kind of have to commend that. So I want to talk now about what's come to be known as the rooftop campaign um so that in the first episode we spoke about a photo called rooftop dreams taken by a photographer called yasmin mund um so this photo was taken somewhere in india um and it's of families mothers and their children um, asleep on a rooftop and the reason they have no roof is because they're too poor to afford one and this photographer has spotted them from somewhere nearby taking their photo without their permission while they're asleep um, so it was given second place in a National Geographic photography competition. So it's completely endorsed by them. And it was also published in The Guardian. So Ali, you've kind of really led the way with this campaign. So could you tell us more about what it actually is? Um, I, I, I'm happy to, but I, I kind of want to pull Chirag into this because it, the photo is taken in India and Chirag being Indian, I, I think there's a, there's a, because I've had a lot of photographers from India actually message me and say, this is amazing that you're, you're for representing or fighting for something that's happening in our nation, because you know a lot of people are surprised that why why aren't we doing it? And so the reason I think Tarag is an important person to have on the podcast is the way I see India is India is almost like what Egypt was for the French. India is the heart of of uh, Orientalist photography, and it's 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 just where everybody wants to go to have a certain experience, spiritual one, whether that's. Um, by going to the Ganges or whether that's you know finding poor people or finding whatever the spirituality you know so or before we jump holy. into that yeah like you know it's it perfect timing right like I think Tarag you've been posting some stuff on holy too so maybe before I, I contribute I Tarag do you want to open up with what you see in issue with that photo and how it's impacted um, as, as you would say as a photographer yeah. in your life 
uh, when I uh, when we look at that picture, and it does not hit me immediately. It did not actually, because we have been conditioned by Nat Geo. I mean, you know, Nat Geo or other publications, as this is the way you know we are to view ourselves. The big image of a half naked woman sleeping or a man bathing on side of a road. It's almost natural because we have been viewing these images all all our lives actually. So it took me a long time to understand how racist it was. Yeah, that's very interesting coming from coming from yourself. Because you know this this comes back to what um, what Edward Said says is the Indian is always saying is half naked. You know this is his this is his condition. When you see an Indian, he has to be naked, and and I imagine. If you look at if you look at certain traditions or certain um, parts of life in certain communities, it's possibly true. But if this is all you see in photography, as an Indian, I imagine, Chirag, you and other Indian photographers or viewers see that picture and you just glance over and say, there's nothing to look at. Let's move on, right? Exactly. In fact, uh, last year, um, there was this article on pollution uh, on Pulitzer Center. And mm-hmm. there was a half-naked man uh, you know, shot from behind bathing so i wrote into the pulitzer center with their ethics policy because that is something that you know i as a photo brown man would never be able to shoot in the us and get away with it you know i'll be mm-hmm. slapped with a yeah. case and pulitzer mm-hmm. center did reply back thankfully saying they are going to look into it but obviously nothing happened out of it and uh, <laughs> you know this is this is how it works i think that speaks to some of the performative uh functions of of you know what we expect as a photographer or as a traveler to those those parts of the world, whether it's India, whether it's Pakistan, whether it's Sub-Saharan Africa, whether it's the you know the Middle East, we expect us like I think we discussed this. Ali discussed this uh, in the last podcast as well that you know there's an expectation of what that uh, setting should represent and should look like and how the people in there right. should behave. And I think more importantly for for a contemporary, in the contemporary uh, context, you know these these institutions like National Geographic, they're still very much the gatekeepers of, of, you know, anthropological knowledge and representing some sort of an experience of what that part of the world looks like. So, as a viewer yeah. and a consumer of that content, whether you're in the West or whether you're in those parts of the world, you don't blink twice when you see exactly uh, those kinds of images. And I think that itself is is talking about some of the um, challenges, but also some of the you know like the the assumptions of photography as a whole. And you know people people don't often equate photography with the tool of colonialism that it actually was, you know, so, that's 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 something that needs to be highlighted more, I think. So to answer your questions uh, originally around what's been happening with the rooftop dreams photo, this is the one that's that's been picking up a lot of heat. So Chirag's comment was 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 a significant one, which is it hasn't really become an issue until people start breaking out of that lens of how they view themselves. So a lot of the people that have been supporting this campaign have actually come from India, which has been really encouraging. So in, in summary, I won't go on for too long. That photo was picked up a couple of months ago by me. I wrote to National Geographic. They ignored me. A month later, they came back and said, we can't respond to you via email. 
can you please send us a, a, a letter or print it and post it to us in our DC office in the US? And I thought, this is crazy. Who who still does that? Yeah. So I sent it anyway. So I sent it, a uh, month goes by, I think maybe a month goes by, six weeks go by, no response. So I so I wrote a follow-up. This time I, I printed the photo with the letter in color. I highlighted the things that were wrong and I said, look, just so you were clear, this is the issue. They didn't come back to me again. So then I posted this on my Instagram and um, and it kind of kind of went viral in a way. So since then, I've started this campaign of if you want to raise an issue with National Geographic, let's just join forces around the world and let's send them a letter. And if they want post, we'll send it by post. So this has been phenomenal. We've had people from every corner of the world, sometimes spending up to five to ten dollars for one piece of letter sending, you know, to the to the US, which is wow. it's not cheap. So so that's that's really picked up. And I think the key behind this was I didn't expect this to do so well was it's more than an email. You know, it's easy to send an email and tweet something and like something. But I think the physical act of, of actually printing and, and putting something in an envelope and stamping it, it makes I think it takes us back to to our roots as humans of we're actually physically doing something yeah. which we feel like is adding value. So a lot of people have really written in and they continue to do this so every single day and saying, Can we can you send us the template to the original letter I want to send it to? And the numbers is going into the hundreds now. And I'm not sure if this has ever happened before on one single photo where it's it's taken off, at least not in my knowledge. But um so that's that's been happening. And then a couple of weeks ago, National Geographic picked up on this because I think Chirag is a is a he's a big uh, you know Twitter user. His tweet got picked up and um I think they contacted Zara, I think they contacted Sacred Footsteps too. Yeah. But they called us Sacred Footprints, so, which was annoying. <laughs> oh that's right. So there was all on this Just two different point. updates. So National Geographic emailed you at Sacred Footprints um and they said, Who is this guy? Can we speak to him? And then what happened with Chirag was F Stoppers, which is um which is a huge uh, photography website, contacted him and they said, um, we want to know more about this. And both of you guys put them in touch with me. Um, so since then, I wrote back to both of them. And individually, what's happened is National Geographic, without accepting any wrong, they've gone onto the website. They've almost deleted the entire caption to the photo, which was referring to humans and animals sleeping together and, and, uh, and there's a curry. Can you spot the curry? Um, which I think is a great tagline for a T-shirt um, for this campaign. Um, so I wrote back to them and said, this is, this is fine. Thank you for updating the, the caption. Um, but what about all the other points which, which are still valid? And, and what we've noticed is they haven't, they haven't acknowledged on the website the correction to the photo, which is a editorial practice most, most websites and most publications have, just for transparency. They, they let people know when they've changed yeah. something. They haven't done that yet, which which means, you know, they're not really transparent. They don't really want to draw attention to something, which clearly goes against their ethics, which they've been trying to uphold as as a post-colonial, as a as a politically correct uh, website. And so that's that's happened. Um, and yesterday, or just just yesterday, Afstoppers have written an article on the same topic to draw attention to a much wider audience. Now this has reached a global. Uh, photography, um, I would say space, where they've actually pulled the same questions up again and saying, what is going on with uh, with National Geographic? This breaks a lot of moral rules around photography. So this has happened in the last 24 hours, and we're hoping this will pick up even more. And, and I'm convinced they're actually hoping this dies down 
but I think they'll be surprised when they start getting in um, tens and then fifties and hundreds of letters through the post yeah. every single week from around the world, from Singapore to Malaysia to India to Pakistan to the U.S. Um, and to Australia. So I think that's really encouraging, and I think this is this is a good way to um, have a dialogue in an intellectual and organized way. We're saying we want to talk to you. We don't want to witch hunt the photographer. We don't want to focus on. Um, yeah. name calling I mean that's Just I wanted to, to ask you about that because yeah I find it, mm-hmm. it you you haven't really focused so much on the photographer herself you focus more on the institutions that kind of endorse the photo the, the photograph in the first place why did you go down that route in particular yeah because you know I see it as the photographer is really a, a symptom of the illness and the illness here really is the institutions because because this person um, Yasmin she's she's not interested in talking and that's fine because I really see her as just one example. She's an easy example. I can go through every single year of National Geographic's winners and find something wrong with most of the photos who've been taken in India and um, in that region as a whole. But this photo was was the best example of one which really breaks a lot of people's um, views on National Geographic. The rest of them you can argue and say, well, this photographer is not really guilty. So I think it's wrong to pick on one person and say she is the problem because she really isn't the problem, right? She making her change of views is useful, but it's not it's not the issue here. So we're trying to target at the institutional level the people who are really promoting this. And National Geographic are huge. So for just them to even admit, even if they haven't said it, and, and, and start modifying their content in a way they've done, it smells of guilt, and and I think it's making people nervous. And I just think um, the fact that they're going to receive so many letters in the post, um, the fact that people have gone to so much effort in order to send them at their own expense, you know, it sends a really strong message and shows just how strongly people feel about this, and it's not something that will just die away. Uh, before we move on, Chirag, is there anything you want to add to that? There, there should be pressure built upon, the, you know, the organisations, the editors, to you know, understand what we're talking about. So I just want to shift gears slightly now and bring Umar into the conversation. Um, so Umar works in the development sector, which um, you know closely related to the topic of Orientalism in photography is this concept of voluntourism, which has kind of been at the forefront again in um, in the news in Britain because we've had this controversy with comic relief which if you're not familiar with, I'll put all the links in the show notes and you can read about that later. Um, But basically, Comic Relief are very well known for sending white celebrities to African countries such as Uganda in order to raise money for um, clinics and things like that within the region. Um, But the controversy kind of comes when you then have all these images of what is basically a white saviour rushing into an African country in order to help these helpless natives, you know, who, who cannot help themselves at least that's the image that kind of comes across um so Omar what I really wanted to talk about was how you know volunteerism despite what I assume are people's good intentions can end up kind of reinforcing those same tired orientalist tropes and um you know and end up having a negative impact for sure absolutely I think um I just want to you know quickly just kind of talk about myself really quickly. I, I actually work in the development sector. Uh, I've previously worked in India uh, with a rural development organization in um, Gurgaon, uh, which is just outside of Delhi. And um, I was then working with the United Nations development program in, in uh, Dhaka. 
uh, as a monitoring and evaluation person. So I've definitely been in contact and seen firsthand, um, you know, and also been exposed and targeted by institutions that, you know, want people like me who are interested in working in the development sector to, you know, partake in a volunteerism trip where, you know, they go, they place you with a local organization uh, through a partnership where you are working on resolving a community issue. It could be, you know, water scarcity in my case, or, you know, public, like public health and sanitation or climate change. There's so many, there's so many issues. And volunteerism, you know, is a $173 billion industry annually. And this is only going to grow. You know, in, in, in 2015, uh, Marriott Rewards credit card uh, company, they conducted a survey in, in which they found out that 84% of millennials responded saying that they would travel abroad to participate in volunteering activities. And I think that speaks to several things. One is that, you know, obviously people are wanting to partake in self-aware activities and, you know, make a difference, quote unquote. But I think what it doesn't allude to as clearly as it should um, is what are some of the what are some of the negative impacts that causes? And you know, in the development sector, that's a whole other issue about how effective are band-aid solutions and you know aid projects as a whole. And we can spend hours on that. But in the context of photography, I think it's necessary to address you know what happens when when somebody is going there with an iPhone camera or somebody's going with a DSLR and taking pictures of of local communities of children in many cases and and you know representing everything that Ali and Jarag and Yuzar have talked about previously um, about you know the ethics of of that photography so i think in terms of volunteerism it's it's a challenge because it's the classic um, dilemma of the development sector that like how much good can you really accomplish and what are the ethics in which you should police that system, right? And I think uh, there are examples of where community organizations and, and you know, these aid organizations are doing it right. So for example, Radi, uh, Radi Aid, which is um, an organization run by Norwegian Students and Academics International Assistance Fund. Um, they released, um, you know, a, a 10, questions cons uh, 10 questions checklist that people should consider when they're going abroad and before they take a picture. And we can link to that. Um, I'm sure Zara, yeah, you'd be able to link that. to that. Um, but, you know, some of the main things, and I, I think a lot of this has already been touched on, is like, you know, this idea of dignity. Are people in the images portrayed with dignity? And for for a lot of people, that question is not, like, it's not answerable. Because we don't often, like Ali said, we don't often see these native bodies, these indigenous communities as possessing a, like as possessing agency of their yeah, own exactly. that should be represented with dignity. Exactly. You know? And who's going to question them if, you know, exactly. when they post these things? 
And I think the other, what I really liked about this checklist was, you know, it's it's really it's really trying to target um, the educational aspect of it rather than the shaming aspect of it. Which, you know, it like I think, like you just said, like it's needed because we don't know how to challenge or grapple with those kinds of issues, right? Yeah. So I think that brings us on nicely because I wanted to talk about what. So we've spoken obviously about the theoretical side. We've spoken about. Um, you know, the institutions, the photographers who kind of reinforce these stereotypes. But I want to talk more now about what we can do to be proactive. Um, so Ali, you've obviously, you've got your letter writing campaign. That's one um, amazing example of how you could do that. Um, but then also, I feel like we need to support the right people because there are examples of, you know, amazing photographers out there who are, you know, like non-Western photographers that I'm talking about specifically, who are representing their own communities, but often we don't know about them. Um, you know, we're not following them on Instagram, like, you know, we're not there um, to support their work. Um, and I feel that's where Sacred Footsteps, for example, like we're doing a Reclaim the Narrative campaign where we're, we're highlighting um, the work of photographers like that. So, so far we've had Michael Aboya, who's a Ghanaian photographer. And honestly, the images he takes of, um, you know, within West Africa, you're going to be hard pressed to find West Africa represented in that way anywhere else. Um, and then we also did a list of 20 it started off fewer than that, but people gave us more photographers. So we've got a list of 20 African photographers to follow. Again, people who are, you know, resisting their stereotypes and reclaiming that narrative. Um, but what else can we do? Like, how else can we support the work of other photographers? I think one thing that we've already started doing is as sick of footsteps and maybe even we can pull in photographers who are interested is, is starting a dialogue in a, in a public space where we, I think, a call this out, make sure this this is heard, and people acknowledge that this is this is happening, and we're guilty of it, or we're at least being educated on it, and then and then support them. So recently, I did a talk um, in London at the University of West Westminster. I was invited by the Department of Politics. So we we spoke about this for about an hour, and there was a lot of interest. And you'd be surprised, you know, you think people know this and people already accept this, um, but you'd be surprised how many people can relate to this in different spheres of of academia and social social life. So I think one thing, not just to encourage photographers, I think as people is to encourage that, that dialogue first to say. This is happening. You, you're not wrong. You've, you've been feeling something is wrong inside of you, in whether it's in textbooks or TV or photography or music. And you're not alone. This is happening. This is actually is a phenomenon that hasn't ended post-colonial uh, in the post-colonial space. So if you're living in the UK, in the US, in Europe, anywhere, even in India, you know, and you feel like something is wrong with certain images or certain ideas being given to you by 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 media of different um, in different ways. It is, it is happening. So I think that's one thing. So I think we were looking to set up a an event, a Sacred Footsteps, I guess, sponsored or hosted event to take this to a much, much larger space. So really bring in a, a range of people from different different places, whether I think it's, it's photographers or maybe some commentators on, on the topic and, and invite a much lar larger discourse where we can hopefully get some attention from some of the larger media outlets and say, this is this is fine for you know for comic relief which happens once a year and we can forget about it once it's over but people who who are aware of this who are feeling this every single day 
we now need to make this a, a continuous topic, which means it's it is a civil rights in, in in a way, and this will continue until we until we at least accept it. You know, that's the first step. So I think on top of that, I think to encourage photographers. I think Omar's Omar's list, I think, is a really interesting one. I'd be curious to see what that looks like, um, and B and Gerard, you know, even ideas um, on on what's going on on your side of the world. You know, it's it's interesting. We have to pull in photographers globally, not just in in the West, because again, this is this is about the the narrative. We can only talk about it from this side of the world, but people who are living in 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 the spaces where they're being represented is probably a lot more frustrating because you find, unfortunately. Our voice being being on this side is is different to to your voice, for example, Chirag, because because when when people see who you work for, where you live, and who who has your ear, you know your power changes, right? The dynamics change. So I think we kind of have have to work together. And this has been the beautiful thing about this campaign that I've been running on against National Geo is is pulling everybody in. And there is absolutely nobody who's saying, well, I'm not Indian or I'm not African or I'm not this. Therefore, why do I have to care? Literally, I have people from every single religious background. I have different races, different ages, just saying, let's let's do this. Let's just go all in. So I think that's the inclusive approach we should be taking. And I think we are taking it. I'd like to add a point which you made about local photographers, Zara. Yep. That uh, absolutely uh, necessary for local photographers to tell their own stories. And this is something that is not discussed in terms of ethics of photography when it comes on a global scale. Mm-hmm. And I'll give you an example for this year, uh, World Press Photo, who runs a very popular contest. Uh, every uh, story out of Africa, which is nominated in that, is shot by a white photographer. It is not shot by an African photographer. Wow. And that tells a lot about what kind of... And, and this is on top because World Press Photo runs a database called as African Photojournalism Database, where they list all the African photographers, although that list is not accessible unless you are a editor or a journalist, because it's not an open list. It's a list behind a wall. And, uh, you know, for a common man, for example, to look up names, like if I want to find out who are the five photographers in Central African Republic, I cannot find them out through that database, although they exist in the database. But this is how the system is rigged towards how uh, I mean, how storytelling, visual storytelling is predominantly white gaze, predominantly white eyes. Yeah, see, that's interesting. I don't even know that. Chirag, Chirag has this has this network. He he he's so in, interested and so involved in this that he he literally, you know, being and you know, this is you know, this is beautiful because this is breaks so many stereotypes that if you are a native, if you're an Indian, wherever you are, you know, it doesn't matter. You can't look beyond your borders, and the fact that. We have we you know we're based in different parts of the world, you know we're talking about things that we shouldn't apparently be involved in, we shouldn't even be interested in, but we now have the means to look and comment on it and raise awareness. And Chirag has has been has been really involved in this, and he's brought awareness to a lot of things that I've been working on, um, because he has he has an, he he knows the names, he knows the people, and and that knowledge is really the power. Um, and this is why I think I think supporting people photographers like him, just to have a dialogue with him and and ask what's going on. Is so key because you find that their their interpretation and and what they're feeling is is just totally different degree. So that's 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 really interesting. Omar, do you want to add anything to that? I do want to add on what uh, Chirag was mentioning about local people telling their own stories. Um, I think 
you know, not to drive home the point any further, there is a lot of um, downplaying of the fact that like a lot of photographers are not falling are not themselves aware of the tropes that they fall into, including myself. You know, I think what the last episode uh, that, you know, Sacred Footsteps did prompted me was really kind of, you know, not to be dramatic, but like I really had a bit of a crisis about my, (laughs) about my photography because I actually wondered how much of my photography um, falls into the same critique that we're providing because especially working in the development sector it's hard to not be faced with those kinds of pictures and it's also you know it's also a part of your job requirement sometimes to take those kinds of pictures because you have to report to donors you have to you know you have to tell a compelling story and you like it's again that's a whole other thing but I'm saying that for me it was really a moment where I had to kind of like reflect and see how much of my photography has either drifted away from that now finally, or am I still liable to, to, uh, you know, addressing that. So I appreciate what's, I appreciate the conversation that's taking place where, you know, photographers, like you mentioned, Zara, are, are messaging, messaging us and saying, you know, I, I fall into the same tropes as well. And I think Mm. that kind of conversation needs to, needs to drive towards uh, growth and and learning rather than just the shaming aspect of it yeah, because I think definitely. there's there's a value add that needs to be uh, highlighted you know that people are not and especially in the context of art like art isn't meant to be um, you know static uh, or sorry uh, like it's not happening in a vacuum right like our art is a reflection of the society that we're in and Recently, I was in an event uh, in Toronto, which was which was held by the University of Toronto, um, and the title of the event was "Artistic Ethics in in Today's Day and Age." And the panel, which by the way was entirely female represented, which was amazing, um, and most of them were people of color. Wow, double um, whammy. Yeah. <laughs> And so, you know, some of the some of the panelists that were there, one person in particular, Michelle Pearson Clark's uh, Michelle Pearson Clark, she's a Trinidadian um, artist based out of Toronto. You know, one thing that she she really um, said that made me appreciate like the humanity of what it means to you know um, struggle and grapple with these kinds of issues. She said very straight up that. You know, I, as an artist, can't think in binaries because it's not up to me to call out another artist who, you know, is struggling to make ends meet and has to take a contract uh, or take on a uh, take on a public work which is being commissioned by a bank. Because I understand that, you know, it's hard to it's hard to do the work that you want to be able to do it, want to be be able to do without the resources that you might need. And in that one statement, like that, you know, the struggle really kind of like illustrated because I get it, you know, like you want to be doing groundbreaking, challenging work, which is aimed at decolonizing photography. But if you don't have the resources and like you don't have the ability, like the time and the ability to do that work, it's not going to materialize on its own. Right. So so that was something that I, I it really kind of stuck with me. And I think. A lot of other artists do think like that. You know, we we 
we want to, there was another panelist over there. Uh, her name was uh, Quill Christie. She's an indigenous artist uh, from Canada. And she was talking about the fact that, you know, in, in Canada, there are some art galleries in major or some of the smaller cities and some provinces that are, uh, they call themselves indigenous art galleries, but all of their curators are white people. <laughs> so it's, you know, like that idea of representation that Chirag brought up yeah. about how World Press Photo, all of the, all of the nominations were um, people that do not belong to that nation or that region. It's it's a global phenomenon, you know. Yeah, and it goes beyond photography. It, it's kind of the it's the same in every kind of facet of life, really, isn't it? I think you mentioned. Hundred um, percent. I think you brought up a really important point because I feel like for. Um, specifically for western not just muslims but people of color i feel like you know if we're honest with ourselves to some degree we're all kind of guilty of um kind of reinforcing those tropes and the reason i say that is because we've grown up in that environment and we're kind of conditioned to think in a certain way and it's very difficult to kind of break out of that pattern of thinking um, so that's why I, I'm really, really against this whole shaming thing. I feel like, you know, if you shame people, you don't change anything. You, if anything, you you harden their hearts and they, you kind of turn them away. I, I think that, I think so too. Yeah, I think people are, you know, a work in progress and you kind of have to tread carefully in that sense. And I think I just want to add one more point um, about what Ali said, that, you know, it almost doesn't matter who the photographer is. It's it's a symptom of the illness, right? Like, yeah. And targeting at the institution level obviously matters, but I think uh, what Zara you're alluding to makes me think about what decolonization is. That decolonization isn't really um, like it, it's not really an issue where, uh, sorry, something that you can kind of you know casually partake in. It, it's a lot of reflective thinking. It's a lot of like, you know trying to get out to the core of why we think a certain way and you know coming from like colonized um sorry ex-colonies we're not really like we're still upholding the same institutions that are legacies of colonialism and you know whether it's our universities or whether it's our art or uh the books that we read the movies that we watch the photos that we take it's a long and uphill battle to decolonize so that's something that we need to kind of like, you know, understand what's at stake and it doesn't happen easily. Yeah, I feel like that's a whole different like podcast on, on decolonizing in art and, and authorship because, because you know, it's an it's a really important topic, this decolonizing the mind. It, it goes beyond photography for sure, like Omar said, because, you know, what what I find interesting with this topic is we end up using the tools and the, and, and, and the rules defined by the colonizer to discuss our own um, colonized way of thinking and so we use the same same rules and we, and we think we're, we're getting somewhere you know we we email them we write them we tweet them and this you know this is this is their tools this is what they've set up so i i'm a little guilty because i do break the rules because i do although i said earlier the photographer isn't a problem i do name and shame people because in my in my opinion i think it needs to be a balanced uh, approach one is we have to make people aware of what, what is happening because 
I can write to National Geographic all the like, but if, if people don't agree with me, they won't support it. So I've been giving examples and saying, look, if you don't agree with me, let me give you some really obvious examples. And that's worked to a degree. Um, but I think it, we do need to be focused on what the problem is. So yeah, I agree on, on the whole with Omar. Last word to you, Chirag. I'll give you I'll give you some I'll give you some inspiration, Chirag. Steve McCurry. Go for it. <laughs> That'll take a whole whole uh, new podcast. Uh, well, I for starters, I mean McCurry's whole career is based on photographing uh, you know, the Orient. I'll give you a quick uh, anecdote about McCurry. There was a yes. picture on McCurry's Instagram feed about uh, there were like some bathing women on it on the in the probably india or nepal and uh, there was a very harmless comment below that saying uh, did you have permission to from these women to take the picture and mercury has a lot of pictures get a lot of likes a lot of comments and he doesn't reply to everybody obviously it was not possible but he chose to reply to that person very condescendingly that i've been taking pictures before you were born it's funny you said that because i said that exact same thing in the in the previous episode i took a screenshot of a comment too because oh. yeah it really kind of stuck out interesting so what's the future of steve mccurry in india charag you know even in india the cameras are still in the hands of the privileged so we do see a certain section of the society the poorest section as the other which mercury photo primarily he doesn't photograph the middle class or the upper the all his pictures are particular section of society so we have adopted that unfortunately if you look around you know, instagram you will see yeah mercury that's clones. a yeah yeah exactly yeah and you know the the interesting about thing with steve mercury in india is he now calls himself a storyteller a visual storyteller <laughs> I think he was forced to do that though, wasn't he? <laughs> he was. And and this is the thing because people who defend Steve McCurry and say, well, he's giving us a, a slice of a culture and a history and people we don't know much about. And so as an Indian, like, you know, I'm I'm curious by actually by anybody who who's photographed, is is this the India you live in? Because if you look at his photos, it's a whole different world. I I, I don't think um Kipling or McCurry or anyone else who's been an Orientalist have have given a, even a close reflective truth of what india is but to people exactly. you know living in mississippi or somewhere in south of england or france they think that's india right like that's that's steve telling them what what india monsoon season looks like and that's what people in the Gan- in the ganges look like that's that's his story he's telling and no one no one can disagree with him and it is unfortunate that it is my country and the india you see is from westernized it is not from any local photographers i is the india in fact the name of the book is steve mccure is india that everybody yeah. looks through is mm. india yeah he owns he owns it right that's that's his that i find exactly. it ironic though that his popularity in, in india given that his his photos were clearly not intended for an indian audience right that they're, they're very much intended for a western audience well that's where the divide from you know the privilege comes in there is a certain there's a huge uh, gap between you know the people he photographs and the people most indians will photograph rather than you know they cannot afford to buy they have may not have the education they may not have the understanding of what the photo does or what it means and that's what that's why most of us are still shooting that 
Najio did a piece on, I mean, I showed it to Zirar, I think, about uh, on Pakistani women. And mm-hmm. uh, the photographer was Canadian and the writer was, I think, Chinese or American. Uh, the agency, I mean, it should have ideally been a Pakistani woman telling that story for Najio. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But National Ge- Geographic had that policy, that certain... Um, um, I don't, I'm not sure if this applies in this case, but there's a very controversial policy at the moment where uh, photographers from certain countries cannot enter into any competitions uh, uh, run by National Geographic in Pakistan, I think, is is on that list. What, why is that? There's that is no true. explanation. There's no explanation given. There's a there's a host of countries. I won't you try and remember them all on the, on the podcast. Um, but basically it says, I think there's about five to ten countries where you you cannot enter if you're a photographer from that country, and there's absolutely no justification given. Just want to say there's a lot more stuff happening, so we'll be we'll be moving on with with events, uh, with more conversations, more stories. So if people have ideas, if they have um, examples, if they have any questions, reach out to us. We don't represent. We're not leading this in any way. We're just a group of people talking about this, uh, but we want to hear your voice, and we would be interested in any collaborative work you guys have ideas on. Definitely. And we're hoping to host two events later this year, one in London and one in Toronto on the subject of Orientalism and photography. So if you want to host, if anybody out there wants to host similar events um, on the same topic or they want to collaborate with us, then do please get in touch. Thank you guys for listening. As always, all the links are in the show notes and you can find us on social media at Sacred Footsteps. We're on Twitter as S Footsteps.